0: to give a plug for Tuesday night we are hosting the 11th Baptist Association meeting and there's going to be a special testimony of a, a friend of mine who guys, it's just one of those amazing God stories God's all over it matter of fact it's all I can do, not to tell you the story, being a preacher, but um, as Brother David said, it's not our story to tell. It's the story of this brother. So I encourage you, if you can come Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, that's going to be shared and also some updates on what God's doing around the churches and our association. So come, if you are able, 7 o'clock, Tuesday night as we host that. I am looking forward to that testimony. Anyway. Anyway. We are in the book of John, chapter 5, and our text of scriptures 30 through 47. I'm going to just read the first verse, verse 30, so I ask if you stand in God's honor as I read that verse, and we will jump right into the message. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but Him, who sent me. Let's pray. Oh God, what can we say when we consider the depth of Your love that You would send Jesus, Your Son, and that He would go to a cross? And Father, uh, just lead us in the time that remains. We believe You have been. This morning. And God, I don't want to do anything to block your spirit and your word. And so, uh, as Brother Jerry Hyder loves to say, keep me in your will so I'll stay out of your way. And, and I just pray, Father, you would speak. In Christ's name, amen. amen. The context of this scripture is Jesus talking to a bunch of bonehead Jewish leaders. The reason I say they're bonehead is what happened was he was actually in this special pool, the pool of Bethsaida, where a miracle happened, and these guys were upset because Jesus did not follow their set of rules. And they were mad, and they didn't want to listen to him. And it's interesting because over the last couple of weeks, Jesus' response to them when they became critical and said, what are you doing, healing on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to do that and all this stuff. And Jesus made some bold claims. He clearly said, I am God. But that wasn't enough for them. So then, and we looked at this last week, he talked about what is yet to come, which is death, judgment, and resurrection. And they were still boneheads. They still didn't hear the message. So today, we're going to look at four reasons that he gives why we should believe in him, in Jesus Christ. Listen, this is 2 Timothy 2.8 out of the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase. It's not a direct translation, but I still love the way it's worded. Don't ever forget the wonderful fact that Jesus Christ was a man born into King David's family And that he was God, has shown by the fact that he rose again from the dead. Now, I want to take a little bit of time before we dive into the words of Jesus this morning to look once again at the purpose of the Gospel of John that is recorded in chapter 20. So if you'll turn to chapter 20, near, uh, close to the end of the book of John. Jesus appears to the disciples, resurrected. Of course, they're—I'm sure—about to have a heart attack, thinking, "Wow! First, they thought he was a ghost, but he became apparent. He was not a ghost. He was there. Thomas was not there. And here was his response when the other disciples testified." gave a testimony of the experience they had. He said, I will not believe it until I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. Well, later, Jesus appeared directly to him. And he gave this invitation to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my sight. Stop doubting and believe. I I think Thomas, man, he kind of gets a bad rap on this. When you look into the text, the response of Thomas is so beautiful. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. You, You see, it doesn't say that Thomas reached out to touch Jesus, to take Jesus up on that invitation. when he saw Jesus, it was enough. He simply surrendered directly there in the presence of his resurrected Lord. <laughs> and, and he simply spoke in surrender to him. And, and I love it as the text goes on, Jesus speaks and he says, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those." who have not seen and yet have believed. And then we get the purpose of the book in the last two verses of chapter 20. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, the purpose of the book of John is the same purpose that Jesus is making clear to these religious leaders who do not want to see the truth that is clearly before them Jesus Christ, that He is God. He made the claims I am God. It was clear. There was really no argument. And then He went on to talk about what was going to happen. Guys, you will die. Guys, you will face judgment, and there will be a resurrection some to life and some to a judgment of death apart from the life in God that comes through Jesus Christ. But his love continues even though they still resist, even though they deny what is before their eyes. And there are a lot of people... I get so frustrated sometimes because I think that people ought to be able to hear and understand and they don't and I just just want to smack them. That's not very Christian. Right? To to, to smack them... My pet peeve over this uh, past few days with all the stuff that's going on in Israel are the protesters that were outside of Harvard that were talking to some Jews who were out protesting and calling them Nazis. And I thought, what is wrong with you? Do you not know anything about history, who the Nazis were, who they persecuted? Just drives me nuts because they're not thinking. And when I look at Jesus Christ and I look at his claims... And I look at the truth of what He said is yet to come. It is so obvious to me, but not to them. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God that brings understanding. But Jesus, in His patient way, gives these four reasons. So let's jump right into them in our text. The first reason deals with eyewitnesses that Jesus reveals. At least eight eight different times in our text, the words testimony or testify is used. That is what a witness does. A witness gives testimony. A witness testifies to what is seen, what is heard, an experience that they had. Jesus shares that he, he doesn't do anything merely by himself. But he does it to please God, the Father. And as he shares his testimony, he begins by talking about these different eyewitnesses. And he starts with John the Baptist, the guy that preceded him, right? And verse 32 through 35, our text says, There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. You know, I love in John chapter 3, as we get the picture of John the Baptist, and he is the popular evangelist. He is the guy all the crowds are coming to hear. And his disciples say to him, The crowds listen because there's a group of people no longer coming to hear you preach, but they're going to see Jesus. And I love his response. He must become greater, I must become less. As a matter of fact, it tells us that as Jesus would come by near his presence, he said to them, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew where to point to give the attention to Jesus Christ. and, And that's the kind of witness that he was. He knew who Jesus is. Then the next witness is Peter. And this is from 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses. Of his majesty. Peter said, Man, these aren't made up stories. We were there. What we saw is mind blowing. His glory. Then there's John, of course, the author of the Gospel of John under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1, it starts out that letter. He says, We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life, and now we testify that he is the one who is eternal life. He so said we were there. This is not some distant word about what somebody said to somebody and they said to somebody else and that was said to somebody else, and you know about down through the eighth loop, suddenly, you know, there's a word being shared. No, we're first-hand eyewitnesses. And and you know, although the Scripture is clear in talking about those direct eyewitnesses that share who Jesus is and what they saw, what they experienced in Christ, I have to admit that in my case, the reason that I came to faith in Christ was the witness of others. In a church that I attended, um, they were going to youth camp. It was Camp Caswell. I was 15, not yet, 16, somewhere in there. And so they invited me to go, and I thought, man, I don't know. So anyway, my friend Barry was going. So we we ended up going to this camp, and I watched these students, and I was impressed. God spoke to my heart. And so... Uh, through listening to the pastor's wife who taught and through being able to hang out with these other teenagers who were Christians, uh, God began speaking to my heart. And so on the bus trip back, there was a guy sitting next to me that shared the gospel with me, and I opened my heart to receive Christ. Then I had to go see uh, that pastor's wife who, to me, man, it was almost like she was radiant and glowed, and I was scared to death to even talk to her, you know. I went up there, and, and I talked to her, and God began to move in my life, and I became a you know, part of that youth group, and began to grow in my faith, and with another fellow, Brian Proctor, we began memorizing scripture together. We started out with Romans 6 and Romans 8, and it just began to really impact me. Uh, Brian ended up uh, marrying a girl I had a crush on for a long time. I kept trying to hide it from everybody, but I guess they saw it, so anyway. He married Kathy, Brian and Kathy Proctor. They went to be missionaries in Korea. Then uh, other friends of mine, Walter Schaefer, uh, he ended up married uh, a lady named Linda. They ended up becoming missionaries in China. Another guy, Richard, ended up becoming a music minister. (laughs) And there were several different people that ended up in different types of ministry. And these people impacted my life. And it's such an important part of the church is the witness of the people of God. When somebody really walks with God, man, it is such a blessing. It is such a blessing to have a church family, to have other believers who care about following Christ and call me out on my junk, but do it privately, don't you know, tell everybody all the details, but are there for me, and I'm there for them, and, and there's this beautiful connection that occurs and you know what? That happens all over the world. I remember years ago, I went to a promise keeper's meeting just for preachers, believe it or not. And there was, uh, it was either fifty or 60,000 of us uh, in Atlanta. And we met in the Coliseum there. And uh, I, I was not going to go. And a friend invited me. Hey, look, this is all paid for. A guy dropped out. Why don't you go? You won't regret it. I loved it, man. I got to go. I didn't even have to pay anything to go, so what a deal, right? So I get there with these guys, and we're singing, and it was pretty cool to hear 50,000-plus men sing to God, right? So we're in there. We're singing. There's a guy in front of me that turns around and gets all babbicostal. I mean, he's dancing. He's singing. He's carrying on. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, it ended up one of the guys in the group I was with had just come back from Russia, had been at his church, and had been involved in some ministry there with his brother in Russia. And now he saw his brother, you know, here, and he's dancing around thinking, there's my brother. Man, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you share Jesus Christ, you're family. That that is the power of what God does, the the testimony that, that is even today of those who know Jesus. All right, we need to move to number two, a second reason. It's because of what Jesus has done. Look at verse 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. As I mentioned, he was at the pool of Bethsaida. And if you remember, Jesus healed a guy who had been on a mat, paralyzed, unable to move for 38 years. He was not able to find healing for 38 years. These guys were more hung up on their set of rules than the healing of this guy that had suffered for 38 years. In Deuteronomy 13, there's a warning. It says, if a guy comes, he says he's a prophet, he does some miracle, be careful, listen to the message that is being spoken. Because if that message does not point you to God, it's a false message. But the message of Jesus always pointed to the Father. He says, I can do nothing by myself, I only do what is in agreement with the Father. And so it was with his works as well. There are over 30 miracles in the gospel that are recorded. And a miracle is a suspension of natural law and the enacting of supernatural forces like walking on water and there's a whole host of other miracles. John 14, in that chapter, he says, Jesus, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. In the book of John that we're studying, chapter 9, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. doesn't follow the rules. (laughs) But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They saw the signs that Jesus, his words and his works matched up. Now, I want to throw this at you. There are people being saved on the other side of the world in ways that are unexpected. What I mean by that is there have been a host of Muslims, thousands of Muslims. I can't give you an exact number because I don't know. (laughs) But they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, many of them through dreams. Now, Scott and I, went. it was a few weeks ago, they have uh, this event called Seminary for a Day that happens once a year and we went, and they had a uh, the guy uh, George Robinson is his name. He's a one of the professors of evangelism at Southeastern Seminary, and God has called George to reach out to the people who have never heard about Jesus, the unreached people groups, and to share with them. And he t- he told us a story about a guy. He said they you know they go back into this place in an African village where the gospel has never been heard and. You know, he came up with this great, well thought out plan. I'm going to walk, you know, he walked up to a child and said, Take me to your leader. So, uh, you know, so these kids uh, went the opposite direction of the way he thought they should go, where all the people appeared to be, and they walked through this path in the jungle, and then they went into this cave, and they walked through a narrow part of the cave, and then the cave opened up, and there were a lot of people inside. And there was this one man, and, and George said, uh, let's call him Rashid. I can't tell you his real name because he'd be persecuted. He said, I walked up to Rashid, and he was a spitting image of what I thought a terrorist would look like. So leave it to say, I thought, okay, God, I'm ready to go to heaven if need be. This does not look safe for George. So he, he has an interpreter with him because he doesn't obviously understand their language. And they sit down, and he says through the interpreter, I am here to tell you about God and his love that is shown in Jesus Christ, the one who came to die for us. Well, the interpreter, you know, shares George's words. Suddenly, this guy goes crazy. He starts yelling and screaming, and he thought, Okay, Lord, I, heavens, you know, it's around the corner. He's going to shoot me or stab me or I know, whoa, you know. And he said, uh, the interpreter's listening to him. He's listening and he's saying, you know, he's nudging the interpreter. What's he saying? Shut up, George, listen. So this goes on for a little bit and and finally it gets quiet and the interpreter shares with him. Here's what he said. Uh, Years ago, he said there was a major drought in this area There was no food. I went to the city to work in order to get food for the village so everybody wouldn't starve to death. He said, while I was there, a man came up to me who shared Jesus. He said, I listened to this guy and I told him, I'm a good Muslim. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. Leave me alone. But Rashid said, lately I've been having a dream every night where Jesus appears to me and he's he's illuminated, he's glowing and he's in these white clothes. And every night he speaks to me and he says, follow me. And the dream closes with me saying to Jesus, how can I follow you? I don't know who you are or where you are. And Jesus says, I will send somebody. So what Rasheed was getting all happy about, he went back to Costal, is he, he was saying, you are the one he sent. Man. So he ends up getting saved. He, he, first thing he does, he goes and starts visiting all the different families in the village. And he tells them the good news of Jesus Christ. Then they end up starting a church. He ends up, pastoring that church they end up having even like a a, a seminary a little little bible college to to train more people to get that message out there and all this it was a dream god was working way before george got there we don't know what our god is up to but he is at work that is how our god operates I actually have another story, but I'm out of time, so I have to skip that story, but I think you get the point. God uses unorthodox ways to get his message out there. Here's a third evidence because of what God the Father himself has said and decreed. Look at verse uh, 37, 38. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You know, the Father gave very direct evidence of the identity of Jesus Christ on at least two occasions. One of those occasions was his baptism. If you remember at the time that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and John's like, I don't need to baptize you, you need to baptize me. And and Jesus said, no, this is right, This, this is what's... Meant to happen. And so he baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water and the Father speaks. If you remember. And here's what he said. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that a great testimony from God the Father? Jesus is the beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then there is a second time uh, where he speaks. And that is on the mountain of transfiguration. And if you remember, good old Peter was up there. You had Elijah and you had Moses. You know, they're they're up there and, and you know they're they're you know Peter's like, we just need to have a camping trip, you know. We we need to set up tents, we need to, we need to just, man, party together. This is great. great. And and I love the response when the father reveals Jesus, he said these words, this is my beloved son, listen to him. In other words, Pete, just shut up a minute, okay? There's a voice more important than yours that needs to be heard right now. (laughs) So the testimony of the Father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Another fireproof testimony. We live in an age of great spirituality where people are curious about seeking the spiritual realm and the truth the problem is this is not the only place they look it's like a salad bar they've you know you go to the salad bar you know you, you might like olives you might not you know or me i don't like cucumbers you know, but, you, know you, you but you have a choice you sprinkle in a little of this and a little bit of that that's what people do now religiously well i want to hear a little bit of jesus but maybe a little bit of buddha will add in there a little hinduism you know, we're just going to mix in some new age in our uh, buffet salad, uh, religion, spirituality. And so there's a lot of confusion that is out there when people speak about God. A lot of confusion. Which leads us uh, to this last truth. The place that is a great Witness of who Jesus is, is the Bible itself. Um, In verse 39 of our text, Jesus nails these guys. and He says to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very words that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Search the Scriptures. Look at the Scriptures. You know, I remember years ago, somebody uh, trying to make an argument with me, You know, they, they used the term bibliolatry, which is worshiping the Bible. And I, I guess if you'd never read the Bible, you could worship the Bible as a holy book and not know what's in the book. But if you get in the book, the book is going to point you to Christ. Amen. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me what jesus proclaimed to these guys that is the way the book works uh, down in verse 45 and 46 he says do not think i will accuse you before the father your accuser is moses on whom your hopes are set if you believe moses you would believe me for he wrote about me but since you do not believe what he wrote how are you going to believe what i say In other words, you guys keep talking about Moses, but you don't believe him either because he was talking about me. So you've missed the whole point, guys. When we think about this book, how can we trust the book? Just a couple of thoughts. First is the internal evidence of the book. Sixty-six books written by more than 40 authors over 1,500 years in three separate languages on three continents... And those who wrote it had different backgrounds. Think about that. (laughs) They wrote about the most controversial subjects like the person of God, the origin of man, the problem of evil, the meaning of life. And oddly enough, the authors of those 66 books from different time errors agreed. God had to be in it. Think about this. Let's say you went around uh, your neighborhood or an area where you frequently go and you talked to... 10 different people of the same educational background, speak the same language, same culture, and you ask them to write two paragraphs about the meaning of life, do you think that all 10 papers would agree? I doubt it. And we're just talking about 10 people who are a lot like you and me. But there's not agreement. What if we took 25 medical books over the last 1,500 years and just, you know, picked a book at random and I'm going to use this treatment today and I'll pick another book and use this treatment today. Do you think it would bring healing? No, it would probably kill you. No set agreement. But there is agreement through the Scriptures. And as Jesus said, it points to me, to Christ. The Bible doesn't point to itself. The Bible points to Christ. Christ. The Bible is not about itself. The Holy Spirit does not give glory to Himself. It says He points to Christ. There is power in Him. There's the external evidence. When you think about through the years how there have been people who have tried to destroy the Bible and to exterminate Christians. Uh, In 303 B.C., Diocletian, an emperor, Put out an edict that all churches should be destroyed and all copies of the Bible in the Roman Empire destroyed. And yet, the Bible's still here. And there are still Christians' uh, survival. Archaeology. Many finds in archaeology, and there are those who went in with the idea, the presumption that, man, this is a bunch of hogwash, you know, uh, this Bible stuff. Uh, but yet, archaeology. Points back to the Lydia of the Bible when you look at the findings. Uh, one example, Sir William Ramsey, his goal was to disprove Luke, the historian, because of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He thought if I can disprove Luke, then I can, you know, stop some of this talk about Jesus because it's not valid. But what was interesting, after thorough study in his life, traveling to Greece, to Turkey, the Middle East, when he finally published his findings, it surprised many of his colleagues. Here's what he said. (laughs) He gave uh, two, two important findings. Number one, he said, Luke was one of the best historians ever. And number two, he said, he's such a good historian, I've converted to Christianity because it's the truth. And they were floored <laughs> as the evidence of the Bible hit him and he responded. And, of course, there's prophecy, many prophecies. And we don't have time to go into all the prophecies. But the prophecies written hundreds, thousands of years ago, they point to Christ. It, it's amazing. It's, it's beautiful at how that occurs. I want to just give an example briefly from one of Josh McDowell's books. Here's what Josh said. Uh, he said, let's say in my pocket I have 10 pennies and they're marked on each penny a number, one, two, three, up through 10, one through 10. He says, and I make a prediction. He says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to reach in my pocket, select a penny marked number one. What are my odds? Well, one in 10. He says, so I go down and I pick it out. and Wow, I defy the odds, right? This is great, you know, and it's okay, so let's try it again. He says, this time I'm going to select penny number two. But the odds go up exponentially. (laughs) It's not one in ten or one in nine. Now it's one in a hundred that I will be able to select one and two in order. And as this continues, it gets more and more difficult. Until you get all the way to ten, and the odds of being able to pull out of your pocket in order, one through ten, those ten pennies, (laughs) is one in ten billion. And God did it over and over again in the Bible and prophecies that predicted what happened to Jesus Christ and and predicted many historical events that occurred throughout the Bible before they actually happened. This did not happen by chance. It, It proves the validity of the Scriptures. The Scriptures that testify about Christ. The Bible points to Christ And the important thing is to know the author. To know the God who sent his son, who gives us life. See, Smith used to say, it's not how many times you've been through the Bible, it's how many times the Bible has been through you to point you to the truth. Let's pray. Uh, God, Jesus loved us too much to not continue to pursue us what he did with these men, Lord, who refused to see what was so clear, who refused to believe the truth, Jesus Christ, who stood before them. Father, we too have a choice to make, each of us, Lord. And it is the most important choice of all. Who is Jesus Christ to me? And Father, may we not miss who you are, Lord. You, you kept pursuing these leaders over and over again, I would have probably, Lord, just been frustrated and just gave up and said, fine. But that wasn't your heart. And so, Lord, today, maybe there's people listening uh, through the internet or, or people who are here today that, Father, have, Lord, just not surrendered They've heard about you, they've thought about you, but as of yet, they haven't surrendered. Today is the day of salvation, as the psalmist says. It is a great time to come to you. It's not too late, or hearts would not be receptive to come to you, Lord. So we just pray for that. Father, thank you that we've been able to look at what Jesus, our Lord, had to say as evidences of why we should believe. And God, how good you are to not give up on us, but to reach us through many different roads and many different people. So, Lord, just continue to move us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.